clubhouse. Welcome back to the This Is Us podcast. I'm Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're going to talk about the season finale of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This is the 16th episode and it's called Adirondacks. Wow, Paul, you have been saying this whole season, man, this is kind of boring. Nothing's really happening. I think the last five minutes of this episode basically blew Twitter up. You know, we had seen the screener a couple times, so we kind of knew that there was a fuse lit on the internet tonight, and we wanted to see what it looked like, and it didn't disappoint. People just kind of lost their ability to type coherently <laughs> into the their The amount phones. of just, wait, what, wait, what, what, what? Like, man, I cannot wait to dive into this because this was thick episode. We have so much going on here with so many different people. And uh, I want to say, hey, Paul, we were right on with Rebecca having important conversations with her people. Kevin wasn't available this week because he was, you know, his hair was on fire. But he did. She did have a big combo with Randall. She was actually <laughs> on the rewatch. She was a little like Jaws. She kept just <laughs> circling him yeah, like true. Randall, <laughs> Randall. <laughs> Randall, 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 Randall. It was, it was a little like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I got to disagree with you on the Kevin moment, though. I mean, what she asks him to do when we get into it is a big moment with Kevin and sets him off on his sort of life's purpose for the next couple of years. So I think important moments were had with all of her children. Good conclusively. point. Solid. So who do you want to start with? Do you want to go back to flashbacks? Let's take a second and dissect a little bit. Uh, I have so many color codes here because there are so oh, many threads. My goodness. We have two sets of flashbacks. We have the Pearson kids and we have Madison. Yes. And then now we have the current timeline with all the characters involved there. We have the super secret mm -hmm. five year from now timeline in addition to the unresolved final timeline that they didn't touch on at all that we think is more like 10 years down the road. Yes. So we don't need to cover that one, obviously, <laughs> but all the others are fair game. First, I want to mention, though, that the Madison flashbacks kind of make me think of that scene in the kitchen at the beginning of this episode when she says that portends well when he calls her boss. Yes. They haven't wasted flashbacks on too many folks that aren't, you know, a major part of the show going forward. Like Toby hasn't got one yet, has he? I mean, we've visited his parents. Flashbacks? Yeah. Yeah, he has. We got yes. we got his like origin story stuff with his family. One episode, and Beth's had yeah. several episodes yes. now. Yes, no, you're right. It's it's reserved for the for the main cast. Yes, regardless of how this this episode turns out, I think Madison's not going anywhere. Yeah, and she shouldn't. I mean, she's the mom of Kevin's kids, regardless of whether they're married or not, or if they're just co-parenting. Whatever they're doing, she should stay on the scene. We'll get to that. But again, we have discussed this. Mr. and Mrs. Fogelman are not giving up a paycheck. Madison's going to stay on the show. Good point. So let's jump into the Wayback Machine with the replacement little kid, <laughs> Pearsons. Eagle-eyed viewers will notice that that's obviously not the same little kids that they had playing the uh, five-year-old versions of the Pearsons, but whatever, who well, they're cares? They're cuties. The casting always does a fantastic job, so I'm always good with whomever they put in the roles. Did you think for a moment there was an element of the writers and creators talking to us through Rebecca especially when she's saying things like 
the obsession with TV and needing the episode and it's her only outlet and that kind of stuff. Do you think they were just poking at us a little bit? Maybe so, because definitely people have gotten, you know, a little unsettled, especially this last season about, you know, the time changes and the gaps between shows. And I think that there's a lot of people who are saying very obsessive things and very like, like my whole life revolves around this show. Where's the episode? I can't wait. It keeps me alive. All that kind of stuff. And so, This Is Us yeah. isn't, isn't necessarily in on this conversation, but TV is in general, the idea of people that freak out about binging versus week to week. Mm-hmm. Like there's a show that I watch on Amazon called The Boys, totally different genre. The first season, they dropped them all. And the second season, they went week to week and the people went apeshit about it. They went back to the show and gave it one star, one star, even though they love the show and they're going to watch the whole thing. They're still going to give it one star because they didn't like to wait. This has been a, a, a frustrating year, though, Paul, because this wasn't a week to week situation. I mean, sometimes we would have shows for two or three weeks and then we wouldn't have any shows for, for you know, two or three weeks. And then sometimes it's on like tonight, even it was an hour later than normal. I mean, I, I don't think that it's the question mark of whether it's a binge or whether it's a weekly show. It's just any consistency. Well, just pick one and stick with it. Well, I was just thinking more like it was just a comment on TV watchers and TV watching. Maybe not this is a specific, but just all of us. Yeah, as, and as especially consumers. during COVID. I mean, my gosh, people have really relied on TV to keep us all sane. So certainly I think that this was a little comment. However, you and I lived at a time when having a VHS tape to tape your favorite show every day was a huge thing. I had a college roommate who taped Days of Our Lives every single day and had someone taped over it with nonsense as far as she was concerned, that would have been devastating. I know, I know actually that the VCR was a big deal at your house for probably more like Jack's deal, <laughs> baseball games and, and things like that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, before DVR, this was the only way that like if there was a midday baseball game, how was my dad ever going to see it? You know? So yeah, absolutely. This stuff was important. And the amount of tapes that we still have at my parents' house right now, still have them there. They're on this over the door shoe rack thing that is an organizer. And all of it is like, do not tape over, do not tape over. There's like Ghostbusters and Gremlins. And it's crazy to see because these are like with commercials. So you can like see the original commercials and stuff. It's really funny, but I appreciated, especially something like Dynasty, where you want the big finale. It's a wedding. It's the big moment. How did he miss the fact that it said, do not tape? tape over the only thing that i could think is that the tape was already in the machine but the tape wasn't on the machine because she takes it out and shows it to the camera so other than that he didn't look he must not have looked painful painful do you think it's very jack consistent that after he did it he wouldn't have been sorry and that he would have just kind of maintained this idea of like well it's a stupid show anyway and all that kind of stuff like is that jack no i had i had a little tough time tying the flashback into the main story. I know that there was the, cause I was trying to think of uh, how it tied into what Rebecca was saying later about, I can't, I can't, I'm starting to not remember Jack and being able to put him into with the family. Now, I guess she had been doing that as sort of a mental exercise. How would Jack fit into this situation? What would Jack do? And so the kids tell her what Jack would have done in this situation, but the kids had the idea of redoing this, the, the, yeah. the wedding ceremony. I don't really think it was about that. I think that the flashbacks for me were all about, you know, showing the different stages of, 
of marriage, having, you know, a moment where we actually got to see Jack and Rebecca's wedding, because that's something that has been lacking in our like a vault of things we've seen. So I was really happy that they gave us an opportunity to see that. So they had to have them have a little tiff in order to be able to show the movie to the kids and say like, oh, look. And also, you know, it ties back in with this idea of um, they're five years in, like those kids are like five years old or something, roughly we were guessing. Yeah. So they're kind of around the same, not the exact, but around the same stage of life as Toby and Kate. So I think that there was something to that because they said, you know, in four years, this is what we've done and two kids and blah, blah, blah. So it's like they're kind of around the same stage of having little kids and jobs and all this kind of stuff. Needing to feel like, you know, you're not under the weight of being with kids. That's a very Toby kind of thing going on right now. So I saw a couple different ties going in. And then, of course, they marry each other as a family. And they've decided that, like, family is a really important thing. And that's kind of a big question mark with Madison and and Kevin. Like, if getting married to be a quote-unquote family is enough... Or is it the parents have to be like exclusively the reason for the for the joining, you know? Uh-huh. So I think there's yeah. a couple different layers there that you could work with. And there's probably more. I'm even just touching on some. There, I mean, there was the one-liner of Rebecca saying, I would marry all of you. You know, she essentially marries them when they're all five. You know, they all marry mm. each other. Kind of a little commentary there about what is a family and what is a marriage. And, you know, this idea that maybe it's more than just the two people who got married. Hmm. Could that explain why Kevin has no problem moving forward with the wedding and marriage as it was leading up to the moment Madison calls it off? He loves the idea of family so much that that was enough for him. He could be in awe of Madison. He could he could appreciate her and admire her and respect her. And that was enough for him. It wasn't enough for her. And that's an important, you know, distinction to make that he was still kind of holding out hope when they had the conversation that that, you know, over time, basically, we'll fall in love with each other. Again, this was a very speedy relationship. They really didn't know each other. They jumped right in, you know, as pointed out very deftly over and over again. They had the opportunity to get to know each other when she was just Kate's friend. And that never happened. So this isn't exactly an organic relationship. They were a relationship of circumstance. He was okay with that. And she wanted to have the kids. And I'm sure it's great to have a a very rich partner to continue to have things like a nanny and, you know, a support system. He's being there and supportive and emotionally there for her. But, you know, there's a lot of parts to them that he said it, it haven't been romantic, aren't about the love between them. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say that the flashbacks also provided uh, a good potential misdirect for some tension when the dynasty voiceover was like, who's going to get killed at this wedding? Who's going to die? Like that kind of stuff. And it really implied that, yeah, you might have the uh, like a feeling that this wedding isn't going to go through, but maybe it's not going to go through because of a death. And I think the person that would have been the most likely to look at would be something like Miguel. Like he's not in our flash forwards and we don't have any idea what happens to him. So someone like that could have been like, oh, I think that it was clever to add in a wedding that had this dramatic happening that wasn't the thing that's going to happen in our wedding. You know, like that was pretty smart. But there is a wedding mentioned later. Dun, dun, what if someone dies at that one, Caroline? Come on. Anything is possible. That wedding is crazy. We're not talking about that wedding yet, Paul. No. Come on, let's just stick God. with that. One are, at a time. Are you wanting to talk about... Madison's flashbacks. Let's go. Wow. She had a 
difficult, difficult road. I mean, I had no idea how rejected and how tortured her past had been. We see her with an eating disorder, but very little time has been spent explaining her emotional state and what was going on with her family life. We've always questioned where, why doesn't she have any friends and where are the, the other people in her life? You know, where, where is any family member? It always seemed odd, but you know, this last year when we really spent a great deal of time with her was COVID. So there was a lot of like, well, we wouldn't hear from them or talk to them. Seeing this mom scene, let me just tell you, here's a little tip off to you, Paul. What's that? That mom was wearing earrings, wearing earrings that were perfect wedding earrings. They were these beautiful, big, rectangular cut, diamond looking earrings. And they would have been fantastic ones to hand down. The earrings the mother gives to her are... Mm, fine for like going out to dinner or something, but they are not wedding jewelry in my opinion. So when I see these these gold tarnished looking earrings with this blue dot on it, I was like, I've seen Madison's dress. There's no way she's wearing these earrings. Like it was like a dead giveaway to me. Like this isn't happening. Like this is already <laughs> not a freaking match. I can see this. The mom and everything just walking away saying like, goodbye, Madison. What a cold hearted woman. And I'd like to point out Madison didn't cry during that scene. Both of her flashbacks were shot with a blue cast on them. That kind of that expressing a cold feeling both parents yeah and the mother was shot so close you never got her her whole face in one shot and that kind of reminds me of the way a kid might perceive that sort of discussion focusing in on this and that and not getting the whole picture really what that really means well and even your perspective if you're in bed and she's standing above you you really are only seeing kind of under her chin and up you know you're not really it's not it's not like the mom crouched down and was like face to face with her so yeah good point about the the camera angles the father was also unexpected I, i mean to have two really cold, really dismissive parents. And the father with all of those flashbacks about basically you're, you're, you're not going to even like find a guy kind of, kind of sentiment. Well, you will find one. Just don't aim too high. That that was sort of his his thing. What a mess. The only other time I've, I've heard that kind of advice was Abe Simpson telling Homer Simpson that he shouldn't shoot for Marge because he's aiming too high. And Abe if you don't watch The Simpsons, is a horrible father. That's the category that Madison's dad is in. I've never heard an actual parent give that kind of advice to kids. I've I've heard about shaping expectations, but never anything like aim low and you'll be okay. This was a very particular situation where both parents are so cold and so unsupportive of her. The discussion started with her saying that the boy that she wanted to ask her, ask somebody else, that that's what led the father into this discussion. If a warm thinking person that cares about you is there, there might be some encouragement or something about how did you really like this kid or or something like that. I don't- If you're the only parent there- I understand wholly. I mean, you and I are not handling this situation the way that these parents are. I think that it's 
probably pretty realistic that a father might not pick up on those cues. I mean, he looked like they kind of dressed him in suits and stuff. They tried to act like maybe he was a very busy professional man. Okay. So say you're that person standing in that situation and you're just doling out money for the week, whatever you need. You're maybe not picking up on those cues. Okay. So maybe we back up a little off the dad and say, okay, maybe he didn't pick up on that, that he should have like hugged her or done something. Right. However, it's the next parts. It's the don't aim high. It's the, you know, you're not very worth anything, right. you know, Prom King you, you have very, very low value of you. That I mean, that's the part where I'm like, okay, you're just an asshole. Like he could have just walked away and said nothing and it would have been better. But this was like, wow. But moving into that boyfriend scene as well. Holy crap. I mean, again, she is standing there wanting to make things work. And this man is just like, there's nothing to say. Whoa. Again, like she doesn't even get a chance to even emotionally have like any kind of release about getting broken up with. She just, he's just going to turn and walk like, damn, these are some cold hearted people in her life. By the time she's ending things with Kevin, well, ending the wedding, I don't know about ending things, but ending the wedding, she's finally realized it about herself, you know, and, and, but it took all that rejection and all that bullshit. It built her into this person, like she said, that would own that that could only hope for like the emotional scraps from from other people. Like this this David, you could probably think of the that relationship. How he said, "I don't feel the way the same way that about you that you about you do about me." She's gotten herself into that with Kevin, even though she was so guarded you know, going up to it because she knew this about herself, but still couldn't stop it because she like, she felt that need again for, for affection that she was getting a little bit of and, and kept, you know, grabbing at it. And also she was pregnant with his children. But she was reasonably guarded about actually engaging a relationship with him. She was, she at least went into it thinking she could go another way. I believe that she thought she could. I also believe that once you have multiple children at once, that the idea of going this partnerless is a different scene. It's not just the person there. I mean, there's a lot of elements to that. Financially, physically, he's there to help take care of a second child. He's when she says all hands on deck, there's like, you know, diaper blowout and also like a there's a lot of just day to day, like I can't do this alone. I can't handle everything by myself. Logistics that can be hot talk when you just found out you're pregnant and a very different situation later. Yeah. I agree with you from an emotional standpoint. She is definitely a person who I think I think she's a normal person in terms of wanting to find love. And that Kevin, in theory, you know, is somebody who is a generous, warm-hearted person. He kind of broke my heart this episode, to be honest with you, because I'm kind of surprised that he doesn't love her on some level. She didn't say to him, am I your soulmate? Am I your one and only? Did you fall in love with me at first sight? Something like that. She just said, do you love me? Mm -hmm. And I find it a little hard to believe that on some level, he doesn't love her. And and there was a lot of dancing around of that, of like, well, I just couldn't like say those exact words. But then I'm kind of I'm like, Kevin, what are you defining as love? I think you do love her on some level. Well, it's a little bit what he was grappling with last week that we thought Miguel had had got him to come around on the, this yes, idea this of like the, writing your love story together. Yes, that also qualifies 
in case he didn't get the whole, you know, moral of the story, that also qualifies as being in love. But he seems to need it to be like, you know, as they say, the fireworks, whatever kind of. Like I said, that soulmate kind of love that is like, well, unless again, you're going back to Sophie, which maybe that's what this all is going to lead us back to. It didn't work for how I met your mother. <laughs> going back to the first girl, people were really pissed off that the journey didn't amount to anything. Yeah. So are we supposed to think that she went right from throwing away the ice cream to that Overeaters Anonymous? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she put on the headband and then they showed she was wearing like the exact same outfit at the meeting. And so that lets us know that that was the first day that Kate and her met. You know, so there was a there was a closed circle there for us with Madison. We really filled in the blanks all the way through her meeting the Pearson family. Okay. I thought so, but I, I didn't want to assume. It's, again, interesting to me that in a lot of ways, Madison puts so much value on family and the fact that the Pearsons in general are her family and the first family she's ever known and that she still needed to push forward with this idea of like Kevin individually has to feel a specific way about me, even though this has been very fast and rushed and we really haven't had enough time to have this like deep complex, full of history, love, because time hasn't even passed enough to even have that. I'm kind of surprised that she didn't put more value on the family side of things, I guess, of having this larger layered love in her life. I'm not saying she should have married him. I think there's some part of me that would have said, let, you know, we should postpone perhaps and let this like play out a little bit more so that when we do stand up there and look in each other's eyes, we have more history together and there is more there and we have more to talk about. Like, I'm even a little confused and kind of want to ask you, like, did they break up? Because, I mean, when they were both talking quickly at each other, it's a little hard to know really what the end was. They weren't getting married that day. But I agree with that. I'm not sure. This is this is what I think. If like if they canceled this show right now, which I know that they haven't. I'm just saying what if I play it out at like they do start from the beginning again as much as you can when you have kids that you are also committed to raising together. What I mean by that is the romantic part of it. I think that Kevin won't want to give up. She just said, I love you, Kevin. You're very lovable and, and I love you. So I don't think she's going to be in a mood to give up. To get to that point where they could ever walk down the aisle though, Kevin's got a lot to do. Because she's not going to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, it seems like you've done enough at this point to convince me. I think it's going to be more than that. I don't know if it's going to be some great act or something like that, because that won't really work. In my fan fiction that I'm going to publish, it's going to have Kevin and Madison getting married. But later, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to date. They're going to yeah, just do the romantic the history, part. Right? Yes. And I don't even know that it has to be quote unquote romantic. It just has to be having experiences together that you draw on that. You start to create this feeling of, it's, of it's not watching history. Exactly. And it's not changing diapers and it's not watching cooking it, shows through your eyelids. Maybe it is. They've only been doing that for a couple of months is my point. It's okay if it's changing diapers and watching cooking shows together and eating dinner and taking walks. It doesn't have to be a trip to Paris. It doesn't have to be this complicated story. It can be that, but there just needed to be more of that to have the foundation as substantial base, you know, and that's where I feel like she was feeling lacking. And what I heard him say was, 
it will grow like my love and 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 our love for each other will grow as we go along here. I don't know why they felt the need to get married right this second. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like they could have done just fine, just co-parenting and just living a life together. We know people who decided to have kids first and didn't get married until their kids were like five or six years old or didn't get married until their kids were 10 years old. And they are just as strong as a relationship as anyone who got married before they had kids. You know, maybe even stronger because, which is the sitch with Kevin and Madison, their age and their time in life was like, this is the time to have kids mm-hmm. or else you're probably not going to have kids, especially for Madison. So it was a fictitious push to begin with for me, the premise that they best, they better hurry up and get married. I think they could have just left it be. So then for me, the tension of the wedding not happening was not as important as a lot of the other things that were happening in the story, which might sound kind of silly, but I picked up on the misdirect a couple of of episodes ago where we were just so focused on Kevin. I was like, oh man, we're just so talking about Sophie and Kevin all the time. It's going to be Madison that walks away. I didn't know why. I certainly didn't know her family history, but we're spending way too much time worrying about how Kevin feels and no one, no one is worrying about Madison. I've never seen a bride get ready more alone than she did. That's true. There's usually so many people buzzing around and talking to her and and all that kind of stuff that her just staring into a mirror for like hours is so odd. They're sending every signal that this just isn't working out right now. But for right now, and whether your fan fiction ever gets published, heaven help you over there. (laughs) But, but, you know, I think that there's, there's no reason to think that they need to go home and walk away from each other. No, no. I hope not. Why do they have to like break up? Because they weren't ready to get married. Right, right. I mean, if you, if there was, there was enough there to get to the wedding day. Right. Right. And, and it didn't break off because of infidelity or some big lie or some big something. It was just, they weren't ready yet. That's what it amounts to. wasn't ready yet. That's what it amounts to. So I don't think that's, that's that big of a deal. There are a couple of, of elements of the way that, the way that the wedding played out that if you've ever been behind the scenes at a wedding, you'd know this was real TV-fied, even for a small affair like like this one was. I've been behind the scenes at a couple of weddings, and even in the groom's area, there's buzzing around. And I've seen in the bride's area that it's 10 times more active. So the idea that she'd be alone is one thing, but then the other idea that the bridesmaids would be laying eyes on their dresses, apparently for the first time day of, I've never heard of that. That seems very impractical. It didn't make any sense. I mean, bridesmaids dresses still get some amount of tailoring most of the time. In fact, a lot of times the hems aren't even finished. Like you have to get them tailored. You have to get them finished. So it's kind of weird. I was like, what? And the entire thing with Tess. Okay, let's just get into it. Okay. I understand Tess's journey and I understand that she's trying to find herself. And I appreciate that there's a lot of people who are patting Beth on the back for handling it very well. She handled it a way. That's for sure. I absolutely disagree with how it was handled. And my conversation would sound very different. My conversation would be like, I'm very supportive and all of us have been very supportive as an entire family of you finding your individual path. Here's the deal. When you're in a family or you are in, you have a friend who has asked you to be a bridesmaid, there are certain times when it's, it's about being a part of the group in a way that no one's asking you to do anything that proclaims that this is your individual style. Everyone understands that bridesmaids are a group of people 
who are dressed uniformly, and it is unlikely that this is anyone's style or that even the dress is flattering or anything like that. Like nobody wants to do this. Like this is a tradition that you're being asked to be a part of that if you were uncomfortable, I wish she had just said, I can't dress like everyone else to begin with and never was a bridesmaid. But I really think that this was an, this would have been an an appropriate time to have a conversation about individual needs versus this is about Madison and she picked out this dress and you're, she asked you to stand up for her today and be up there and, and represent her and support her. And so this is not a time when it's about you. I understand. And it sucks. And I've been in a horrible bridesmaid's dress many a time. You just deal with it because the bride asked you to, and you accepted the job. I need you to stop. And I get the whole pretty and pink transformation of the dress, which was completely silly. And I really thought the way they were holding it out, I thought surely they were going to make it into pants. Although for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how. But what they ended up doing to it, I think was really disrespectful to Madison. I mean, she picked out the dress. It it wasn't meant for one person to stand out. The only person who was meant to stand out is the bride. You know, like I was like, that's just, it's very rude, honestly. Well, and meanwhile, Beth has herself to get ready and two other girls to get ready. And meanwhile, she's got to Denise Huxtable this dress. Yeah, like Denise Huxtable made that dress. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think it's the principle of the matter. You know, you were asked to do something for somebody else. There's just like a protocol when it comes to that. And if you didn't want to do it, that's fine. Then you should have backed out at the beginning. Once you accepted the job, I think it was, I think it was incredibly rude and selfish. And I really think that Beth is too savvy of a woman to not say, this is like a rite of passage when you kind of realize as a woman with, in a situation like this, like, this is what you do. You know, you're supposed to be like the bride squad, if you will, and all that stuff. You're not all individual people. You're like her gang. But they weren't playing it out that way anyway. As we said, Madison's sitting alone in a room. So they're already like not doing the right things. But I just thought the amount of time we spent on that. Now, it did give us the reconciliation moment to end the season of Tess being like, I haven't been nice to you. And Beth and her having a moment where they sort of smooth things over for a moment. So, okay. All right. I will give it that much, but you could have still had that moment, even with Beth saying, Hey girl, I get you. Every bridesmaid dress is stupid. This is not the last time you were probably going to be standing here in this situation. And, you know, next time say you don't want to do it before you even start, but today you already said you do it. So be a stand up person and be cool to the bride. And plus we're at a wedding venue. I didn't bring, you know, a sewing machine. I don't even care. It's not even about that. Say there was a sewing machine. It's still rude. Madison spent the time picking out those dresses. Oh, I get it. You know, it's just It, it, it reeked cool. of, of, of Beth trying too hard, a little bit trying too hard to this, because she's so caught up in the... Doing it just right and not, not feeling like she's hurting feelings or doing anything or misstepping, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people on Twitter, it was over and over again of people just being like, this is, it's not about you and not every day can be about you. And there was plenty, I mean, man, one of the really just straightforward quotes was like, yeah, we should all raise our kids to think that every situation everywhere, every day is a hundred percent about them. Frown face. Like sometimes you're there for other people and you're just there to be supportive and just be cool. They could have dropped the whole test bit. I don't know what I would have wanted instead. Who knows? Maybe Sally shows up or something. I I don't care. But the test thing was like a little bit of needless screw turning that it wasn't for me. I'm sure it was for someone, but it wasn't for me. Let's talk about another Pearson daughter because we got a little time with Deja. What did you think about Malik's college news? 
I have to admit that the subtlety of Harvard's location flew by me on the on first go. Why don't you remind all the listeners what it means if he chooses Harvard beyond not being close to Deja? Well, the one little nugget that Deja had passed on through that conversation with Randall, where she was giving him some wise advice as her teenage years were um, in her previous episodes, was that Jennifer, Janelle's mom, the baby's mom, lives in Boston. So... Harvard is fantastic and what a what an accomplishment. And as an audience member, I'm like, wow, Malik, I am truly impressed and and really mad respect from a Deja relationship situation. This is pretty bad news. I mean, not only long distance, that's one thing, but living with his baby's mom here and the whole situation with the baby and her trying to get closer to the baby. Oof, I think this is spelling some big trouble for Deja. They've been really laying off Deja's story, just giving us kind of the high points of, of where she's at, kind of the cliff's notes, the plot points. If, but that's all I've been needing out of Deja, but I feel like we are in for some real Deja meat. You say <laughs> that, but let's also say we've spent quite a bit of time with Malik and they have developed him as an individual character outside of Deja by having him be a helper and intern over at Randall's office. True. You know, they've been giving him some storylines that you know, Deja has played off of, has had like reactionary things too. But if you just took Malik individually, think of his arc. I mean, he interned and had a relationship with Randall's office and trying to figure out where he wants to go. His, you know, ex-girlfriend comes back into the picture and is now coming back and forth. Like he has a whole story that went through this season that is pretty rich and has a lot going on, which makes me wonder where he falls in moving into the future because we've we actually have developed him. Unlike Annie, who gets nothing. <laughs> right. Although, Annie's a good bowler, Paul. Uh, yeah, apparently she uh, <laughs> has an has a, has a undeveloped skill of bowling. I am. That was such a funny little throwaway moment that I was like, you got to give Annie something. And it's just, it's too funny. It's too funny. <laughs> Randall wanted to talk about anything but. New Orleans. Right Let's then. move into Randall because you are right. Randall, this was a big deal. Now, again, let's all remember that in the previous episodes, Paul and I have been concerned citizens that they were really tying up Rebecca in a very neat package. Great writing, but also very sad and scary because the writing's on the wall here. We're going to get very little, I think, with Rebecca moving forward. The way that this episode ends up by establishing that new milestone to reach, Kate's second wedding, it makes me wonder, will next season, will it leapfrog to those various points in time along with current timeline? You know what I mean? Will it build to both of those so that we get what we want? Because what you what you noticed on second viewing that I didn't get at all was that that next wedding is in five years, not mm -hmm. just one year or some right. other miscellaneous time. So we have a lot to, to build we toward. We do, and here's the trick of it. what Knowing that next season is the last season, how every other season worked doesn't work for this because mm -hmm. what they had been doing was sprinkling parts of the story, moving ahead, but then jumping and going to the next season and backfilling. But if this is the last season, 
they have to just show us what they show us. They don't have season seven to backfill anything for six. Right. So you're right. I, I don't know how they're going to play it out. I think things are going to have to move fast and furious. We lost two episodes this season. This should have been an 18 episode season. We only got 16. So Lord knows how much material was lost there, either in flash forwards, flashbacks, or current day. So holy crap. I mean, we've lost a lot of story out of these guys. I want to talk about Randall, though. And we Let's can't, do that. We can't go too far away from him. So what is your feel? <laughs> I loved your beginning with Randall, 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 Randall. What is your feel about should this conversation had happened today, now? Let's just set that first expectation. So TV show wise, it adds a lot of uh, extra to the episode. Randall didn't have that much to do with the plot regarding the wedding so he was available for some additional additional narrative and that was this so that makes the timing in tv wise sense if in in real life if i'm randall if this feels like the best day to talk about this but if i'm a rebecca and i know that my mind is is on a clock i don't know that i get so choosy about when i decide to talk to people about stuff that i have to say to them there's a couple other things too that I think we should remember. While I think that in a in a normal situation, it would be strange to have this conversation on a wedding day. However, I would say that they live on different coasts. So we can assume they don't have very much time face to face with one another. This is COVID time. Again, limited time together. We also have that perhaps Rebecca, due to her illness, maybe has, you know, some amount of like, what is appropriate? You know, is this the right time to be talking about this? But I think that the time clock is there on multiple levels. So I'm fine with them talking about this. What did you think about the actual conversation and and how it played out? And did it give Randall everything he needed? Did it give the closure Rebecca needed? How about the audience? Did we get what we needed? You know, when it's when it all boils down to her final message, I'm not sure that it did. In terms of like her having explained why she kept William from him. Because that's how she starts it. I never said why I did it. Yeah, I, I was surprised she didn't ever give a reason. She didn't ever say it. Because she said there because there was no good reason to have done it. So basically any reason she could give, she I guess she was chalking up to an excuse when there was no rational good reason to keep them from him. And you know, as in terms of like drama, on the one hand... That's a shit reason. But as a human who makes decisions that wind up with that very same reason being the entire motivation, which was uh, it felt like the thing to do in the moment. And there's no you can't really dig for a better reason than that. I can totally appreciate that and be like, I'm I, I can only apologize at this point. I can't I can't produce a better reason for you, but I, I'm sorry for it every day. And that's what I'm sad about when we talk about your family. It's not that I'm comparing myself to this other person. It's that I'm sorry for what I did to you. I think that that was important for her to say the entire conversation where she said that she's crying because of what she robbed from her favorite person. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was really impactful and something that I think that Randall needed to hear and have it acknowledged because Really, for this entire season, it's been the strangely talked about and not talked about thing that he's been dealing with. So he has, you know, he's been going to group therapy. 
He's been expressing things to different family members. But at the same time, that statement that his family, that side of his family was robbed from him was never really plainly spoken or acknowledged. It was always about, well, but you had a good family. So isn't that good enough? We did love you. So isn't that good enough? But not just saying the words, I took something from you. And now these people are gone and you can never have it back. And so it's officially gone. That was important, you know, and I do think that, you know, the tears that Sterling K. Brown shed were, I mean, authentic feeling and everything was played out between the two of them in a way where I think there was genuine healing and you felt like, okay, if she's incapable of having the memory or the, just the ability to have a conversation in the future this was the most important conversation they could have had maybe ever. And they had it. So again, from the standpoint of like, (sighs) Rebecca time is dwindling. I mean, as soon as that conversation felt pretty fulfilling, it was like, shit, this is it. You know, this really is it. Exactly. So great for Randall. I'm glad that conversation was had. And I'm and I'm glad that they showed how hard conversations can be had because I think there's a lot of people who have hurts from childhood that they tippy toe around with their parents because there's this thought that what's done is done. And so there's either no reason to go back and talk about it or somehow my parents can't handle it or I can't handle it, whatever. This was a hard conversation about a real thing that happened and they had the conversation anyway and they got through it and they both still loved each other at the end and they both could acknowledge the hurts that happened and they're better for it. You know, so that's great modeling on This Is Us's writing staff (laughs) that it can happen. You know, you can have it. There's plenty of things that you and I would say to family members that if we could have a conversation and you could really just say what you needed to say and they said what they needed to say and you could walk away from it feeling like, but we still love each other and everything, that would be very satisfying for the majority of people I know. It's kind of a shame, I guess, that you got to reach that point where Rebecca is where you're like, my future might end tomorrow. So we got to do this right now. And not only that though, but a lot of people have that and and they put up their arms and they put up their hands and they just say, so they don't have the conversation anyway. You know, it's not like everyone has the grace and the ability to still be like, and I'm willing to spend my last times of being able to think clearly talking about difficult subjects some people just say, I'm going to the Bahamas. I'm going to enjoy that. And, uh-huh. and I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to have these hard conversations. Like that's still an option, you know? So going back and trying to do right by all your kids and do the right thing. Very admirable. Respect. If I lose my memory, I'm going to be like, I'm going to go to Disney World and then we'll come back. And then you'll say, so what do you want to do now? And be like, go to Disney World. Be like, but we did that yesterday. Be like, no. See? That's what you're going to do. Yeah. Even though I might really know that we did. Even though you're going to actually play memory games when you're losing your memory? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty diabolical. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So who are we, who else are we going to, you know, let's, because we talked about Kevin's story, let's finish out with Rebecca and him because, you know, we did talk about how she's going to have to have important moments with each of her kids in order to finish the story outright. And she did, you know, them sitting on the Adirondack chairs, 
They had some beautiful shots that were framed up in a way that you could tell. They probably took some still photos of that for promotional reasons and whatnot. But it was a very beautiful picture of Kate and Randall and Kevin and Rebecca all together. And you could see them as a family. There's always been this feeling, and I think Rebecca spoke to this very much, about everyone always trying to stick Jack in the picture. Like there's someone missing in the photo all the time. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the few times when the four of them were sitting there that they seemed complete. They actually seemed complete. You know, I didn't have to draw Jack in my mind to finish it out. You know, and I think it was kind of important that they had Kevin sitting in the other Adirondack chair. There wasn't a missing person. There wasn't an empty seat, if you will. They were a whole family just as they were. Interesting, because we've been projecting forward this idea that Kevin wants to elevate himself to that point where he can compare himself to Jack and not feel wanting anymore. You know, mm -hmm. the it's an old-fashioned thought, but maybe the patriarch of that kind of family as it as it grows old. Well, and I think that it held true. I mean, I think he's Jack 2.0, if that's where you're going with that. Basically, yeah. Yeah, I think he did. I think Rebecca looking at him and saying, Kev, build me that house. Build me the house that your father was going to build. And basically, let's finish out this story as it was going to be. Like, he's not here, but we can still complete the story the way that it was going to be in, on some level. And I think that it was amazing that we got the piece of paper when Kevin was practicing his horrible, cringeworthy speech that I wanted to crawl under the mattresses of the bed and cover my ears. The whole Princess Bride speech, I know. It's very funny when it's in the movie, but it's not funny when someone's doing their impression of it. So when you saw that piece of paper, what did you think? What did it say? We had to freeze frame it, but his notepad in the same font as the Lundy Holmes logo, mm -hmm. it said big three, and then underneath that, I'm almost positive it said a Pearson Family Construction Company in italics or something. And then it, then it had his his notes about what he wanted to say. But five years down the line, he's been asked to to build this house. I think that's where he's headed. You know, maybe he maybe he goes full vanilla ice and this is what he does now, or maybe he acts and 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 owns the company and maybe for all we know, Miguel runs it because that's his background. Who knows? No, I think it's Kevin, but I, and, and again, remember, they laid the foundation for this. Remember back to Randall's buying the apartment building and Kevin coming in and being into the construction of it all and us being like, oh, this is some serious foreshadowing. And we said back then, I remember looking at you and being like, this is what's going to happen. They're going to end up creating and building things together because we saw Randall and Kevin working together on, on a rebuilding project. And it was like, this is it. This is how this is going to go down. And it's a way to honor Jack and it's a way for them to, to work together. And, and I think it's very plausible that this is how it happens. I think it's awesome. I think that it's a great bookend to Jack's story and that you guys, I have to throw this out because for the life of me, I don't know where I got this. I had said in a previous episode that somewhere in the house, we saw like an Oscar or something. I don't know where my brain is. I really don't. I, I know there's a lit up picture of the drawing that Jack drew with the Lundy construction. 
on it. And that is the thing that's lit up like as if in my head there was a trophy in that place. You guys, I had a whole thing about like, maybe he gets that Oscar for writing or directing. What am I talking about? I don't know where this Oscar idea came from. I have no idea. So if you guys listened to a previous podcast and you're like, where did she get that? Where? What episode is that in? I don't know. And if you see it and I was right, please tell me so I don't think I've gone nuts because I can't figure out where the hell I saw it. So side note, sorry about that. <laughs> Editor's note. I don't know what happened with that. So anyway, very impressed too that the answer to the question, whose house is this, is it's Rebecca's house. Kevin built Rebecca that house. I know they call it Kevin's house on some level, and we always assume this is where Kevin lives, but I don't know that Kevin lives here full time. Or that we should think that. I think that it's Rebecca's house. Mm-hmm. And that's new. That's fresh information. Very cool. Yeah. Maybe that's the big moment that they needed to share was her handing that mantle, that Jack mantle over to him, basically. Oh, yeah. No, a thousand percent. I would say that emphatically. I don't think it was maybe her sort of, she passed the torch and she gave the most precious precious, precious Jack thing she had, which was their future to him and said, you build it. And I think that that is it. That's the whole thing. She can go. She did it. You know, she, like the whole Jack Pearson line continues because she let it go to him. And that's really remarkable. The story was well told in that regard. If you just took the five of them and you forgot about all the additional things that are going to happen as we talk about the fast forward, Jack Pearson's death story completed right there in the Adirondack chairs. His legacy moves on. Before we get to the future, though, you know we got to cover the present with... (laughs) Yes, this was some hard stuff. If you've only watched this episode once, do yourself a favor and go back and watch it again, knowing how it ends. There's so much language in this, you guys, that when you go back and you listen to Kate and Toby talk back and forth... Oh, I was floored with the, like, this isn't going to end the way you think it's going to end. When Toby says that, and they're talking about whether the babies are going to sleep in the car or not. But when you hear him say that, and then you know how this ends in this episode. Oh, go back and listen, you guys. Go back and listen. And even the portion when they're standing on the porch. And she says, look how much can happen in four years. Oh, my God. Because that's basically, (laughs) yeah, that's the fast forward. It's like... Four and a half years from now, everything's different. So, man, there are so many nuggets if you pay attention. Which, side note, we didn't mention in the Kevin and Madison part, but when she says, this isn't us. Mm -hmm. Classic. I think she says, this can't be us. This can't be us. This can't be us. Still, the this is us tag. Come on now. Love it. The way that they were- go, Fogelman. I know that we're on the Kate and Toby section, but- Acting wise, those two, the way that they were arguing back and forth and not being able to listen to each other, um, but ending up so that she had that beat of text just after he finishes, man. That was well done. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I could imagine that might take all day to get right. Maybe they got it done in one go. I have no idea, but I was impressed. Really well done. There was a lot of moments like that, actually, that I felt... The back and forth with with Randall and Rebecca was so well done. And again, you know, just giving accolades, it is the finale. Remembering that Mandy Moore is a young woman. And I 
100% have forgotten that in watching her portrayal of this older mother, this older Rebecca. She has 100% transformed into being able to have the mannerisms and the, the speech patterns and the look of a woman who is so much older than she is. I mean, I don't question it anymore. I think at the beginning I was like, oh boy, it's so weird to see her in this wig and you know all that kind of stuff. And now she absolutely killed it. I think we've been saying that for a couple of seasons that she's the most overlooked of the main actors in terms of her, oh, yes. her skills and ability. Uh, you know, ability and she's younger than they are. Yeah. In real life. That's what I mean. Like, and she just transforms into this woman who can take up the space that she needs to as the matriarch of the family. But back to Kate and Toby. Again, everything that they say, it feels almost sinister. The way that Toby is like, I love you and the kids, but mm-hmm. and as the person in my family that goes and earns the living that we use, it's it's like it is tough to strike that balance, but you can see where it's, you could do either side of your equation, whether it's the work half or the family half, a disservice if you overbalance on one side. And so knowing that their that their marriage ends, it almost writes itself, right? That he does go to San Francisco for this three day a week thing, but... You know, they're going to start to need him on Thursdays every so often. And if you're staying on Thursday, you might as well stay till Friday. And then all of a sudden it's two weeks between times that you're home. And also Toby has had a difficult time finding his way being the father of baby Jack and knowing how to be supportive of a child with blindness. And I feel like having her now be marrying a man in a profession where he teaches blind students and has the appreciation and the the skill set to be able to teach music, I could see so easily, again, it writes itself about how she notices that Jack has some inclination towards music, or he does, for goodness sakes, and somehow there's a bond formed between the two of them being supportive and raising Jack in these off days when Toby's not around, and just slowly but surely, Toby doesn't really have as big of a role in that family, and Kate realizes that Philip is a very supportive and very knowledgeable and I almost want to use the word appropriate father figure for Jack, but he is. He has the skill set to be someone that Jack can thrive with. Just so crazy how they, you know, the writers knew what they were doing this whole time and then they added in the adoption. Yeah, that part's so odd when you really get down to it, this whole idea that they wanted another baby in this whole mix and... It kind of makes me scratch my head because I'm like, what is even happening with how they kind of grew this little family and how they're making the parents kind of move around? It it feels so unfulfilling, I guess, in a way that I'm like, man, what nobody even talks about Haley and the fact that they are new parents to a baby. I know this season's been so weird, but it just feels like it just all went away. Like they adopted her and then they didn't nobody speaks of her again like it's just so weird i think we can chalk up the children's appearances on camera to covid but be that as it may i don't think we've seen them on the same shot this whole season no like she's an infant paul she doesn't have to be a human baby they could have a doll that's true they were doing what does Haley's room look like that's true. What I mean, tell me anything about this child who's been introduced this season that they desperately wanted 
And I'm like, where's baby at? I mean, this was a strange choice to really do this. Again, we're missing episodes. I get it. I understand everything. But we did have 16. And Haley is not a part of, like, once she's on this earth, we dealt a lot of, with a birth mom. But the baby is really just a non-entity. Ah, man. If if things go the way I just predicted, I don't know how Toby comes out the other end the least bit sympathetic, likable, okay in people's minds. Anybody that wants to have him around for that final death scene with Rebecca. Because he would kind of come out like a villain, like an abandoner, like a, I don't know, It's a good beat. question. It's a good question of like, can they maintain any integrity with his character and have these two go separate directions, especially because they had set him up with this whole like going to the gym, maybe having this other woman on the side because he didn't want to be dealing with this special needs baby at home. And I'll, like, I mean, he's got the foundation there to be a villain, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is just the next step. This is like layering it on here and I'm just like oh Toby I don't know what happened here and can they do it can can they find a way to say nobody's a bad person here and somehow this just didn't work out and like Toby's just not around I mean I don't know I don't see how she's remarrying with a kid no older than six at home yeah Um, six and like four yeah I mean I mean this isn't plan a for most folks it, this is really rough. I don't... Mm. We did have some very sweet moments between Toby and Kate. Again, now looking back, watching it a second time feels like a farewell to this marriage in a lot of ways. Reminding themselves, what were your vows? Reminding yourself how wonderful you love each other and all this stuff. It'll, in a, you know, in the moment felt like, oh, everything's going to be okay. But in retrospect, when you're watching it again, you're like, is this the last time things are going to be good? It's almost like you're forced to contrast, like the way that she interprets her vows is that she needs to give up her dream, her music career to fit in with what Toby needs, right? Which is is one way to interpret that. But then she calls a man who we know later becomes her husband who says, no, don't give up your dream and then hangs up the phone, you know? So it's, it's like, well... Then which is the right man? Apparently, it's the the one that says, don't give up your dreams. Well, and here's the thing. To be fair, Toby came out and said, don't give up your job. I'll quit. I'll not take this job. We'll figure out something else. You know, so he didn't, he wasn't telling her to give up the job either necessarily at that point. But you're right. Earlier in the episode, he was like, obviously, you can't keep. And he downplayed it. Let's be clear. You yeah, your, your teacher it. assistant your job. teaching assistant job. That was a really crummy way to refer to that because obviously she has a great deal more invested in this than just feeling like she's just a helper in the classroom. She's not a volunteer or something. She was like truly She was asked to do it and yeah. she's gotten better. And One thing I want to clear up when it comes to Philip is a lot of people are saying Philip is her boss and people are getting very upset about this idea that she's marrying her boss. He is not her boss. She is a teaching assistant. That is true. Or a co-teacher, however you want to look at this. He's a teacher. He didn't hire her. That was very clear. In fact, I think that's why they said it in this episode when people are kind of saying like, oh, that was mean of him to say like, I wasn't for you to be hired. You were given to me and you were just hired without me even like saying anything about it. That is to make clear, in my opinion, that he's not her boss. And so this isn't that situation. 
be clear on that. He's at best her coworker. That's all. If there's some idea of like, well, he has some authority over, over her. Well, I'm a teacher and I can tell you that you can work with other teachers and they don't have authority over you. And clearly he said that. I don't, I didn't have anything to do with your hiring. I didn't have any say in what you do. Like he's saying, I have no authority over her, everyone. This is not the power structure you might try to extrapolate from this. That's why he said the things he did. I think that's why the writers wrote that in. It wasn't just to be mean. It was to clarify for the audience. Do you like Philip as a person? Do you want Philip to be a part of Kate's life? Do you feel like this is good? And and you as a dad who has a child who is deafblind, do you see the allure of having somebody who is in a profession that would very much understand your child? Boy, that's a lot of questions. Well, we've joked about it. You said in a previous episode, I'd have to marry Janelle. Yeah. Why? Because Janelle was our intervener. She was like our special needs teacher for our child. I mean, there's something there though, right? In that between you two birds. But I'm just saying the concept of I'd want to pick somebody who knew how to be with my children. So I would like instinctively go towards somebody who knew what they were doing. It's a pretty steep on-ramp to get on that highway. It is. For for someone for for a normie, <laughs> if you will. Um so yeah, there is Someone that's already in the game on the highway, if you will, it, it makes a lot, lot of sense. Philip, I've run into different kinds of people in my experience with musical professionals. There are the cool and easy guys that, that just like to jam and they're fun to hang out with, but I don't know that they make terrific like technical teachers per se. And then there's guys like Philip that take it really seriously because they want some they want something that the kids will be proud of when they look back on it not just like fun to do in the moment well, you let's, know let's be extra clear as parents who have dealt with fun well-meaning teachers we actually don't appreciate that at all i want somebody who is, has a skill set and has training and knows what they're doing and as you described in a previous episode braille music is extremely complicated and hard to deal with so so again, coming at it from this idea that like he takes it seriously, he has to take it seriously. Like this is hard to do what he's doing and to do it well, you have to be serious about the job. So again, that's what contrasted him with Kate, who's coming in as like, I have a baby. And so I have some experience in the blindness world, but obviously without the training for me and for you, if someone came in and said, well, I have a baby who's like six months old and is somewhat like your child, we'd be like, do you have any training? Get out of here. You know, like, we wouldn't be interested is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I don't want to downplay Philip as like, he's a serious minded guy. No, he is a trained professional in the field in something that's really hard to do. And it has a unique skill set. So that makes him take it very seriously. Exactly. And people with that mindset, like you just mentioned, don't appreciate anybody that just feels like they can just waltz in. And None of us do. And uh, do what they do. And the last thing that any of us want is for you to come muddle through and practice on our children. Get out of here. <laughs> right. Get out of here. No interest in you. The fact that he's he's able to uh, make that quick joke with Kevin about, you know, take the piss out of your future brother-in-law, that does show that, that there's a guy there that is, you can joke around with him. He's, he's, not, he's not that guy that dressed down Kate the first day that we met him. Right. I, it's weird because on one hand, I'm even having, having a hard time saying I want to see how their story goes because a big part of me like doesn't because it's very against being Toby's 
fan. So I'm like, I don't know, like, is this going to be uncomfortable the entire time? Like, obviously there's going to be movement towards, you know, like a hand brushing or a first kiss or something. Is every single moment of that going to be like, oh, I don't want to see this. I think there might, in order for that to feel okay, if that's the thing. Yeah. They're going to have to demonize Toby a little bit, aren't they? Because he's done a lot of stuff right. He's done he's done a lot of like kind of super heroics to be Mr. Kate in a lot of ways. He hasn't been super jack dad, but he has been good Kate spouse, good partner, you know, in a lot of ways. So, but if he starts doing this shit that I talked about with work, staying gone a long or time, making her feel isolated. If, her, if his mental health becomes an issue in a way where he starts pulling away and needing to spend time alone or having more problems with himself. There could be, I guess, a way that maybe he's not demonized, but it is like he has his own struggles and his own challenges and things that are going on with him. Well, I've thought of that. And can we be okay with that to be like, if he's like, I can't handle doing all this or is it, it, it kind of depends. Weird? It kind of depends if it is mental health and he, basically bows out of the relationship himself because he feels like being around her and the kids is just going to hurt them. And, and it's obviously the case that it, that's true. Then that kind of gives her sort of a pass to not be a welcher on the in, in sickness and in health part. Right. Otherwise she's kind of not a good person for ditching him in that case, unless it's like you said, no, I, it's, like, it's more like I was trying to say, like, what if he pulls himself out of the equation? Right. So right. I think I'm saying happens, the same thing. Yeah. If that happens somehow and he's like builds a wall around himself in such a way that he's like, I'm not going to be a part of this group anymore. Then what's she to do? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's how Kate comes out of it unscathed. And if it's, if it's some sort of maybe cheating Toby does too. thing. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like he has his own struggles, right? As much as some amount of mental health is having a support system and an understanding from those around you, it is possible to get far enough into that hole that they can't help you anymore. They've done all of the smiling and good feelings that they can that they can do. I think that's true, and I think that they showed that with Kevin. You know, with his own, like he had to finally just kind of give it up with everyone else and go to rehab and handle it himself. Even with Randall, there's points in time when, yes, he can rely on other people, but ultimately he needed to go to therapy and he needed to do the work. And it stopped being about other people being a cheerleader, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that they've shown that multiple situations that at the end of the day, Absolutely, people should be supportive of mental health. And also, there's a line where that person has to be the one to do the work. And, and everyone else around them can cheer them as much as they want, but they can't make it better. The, the original person has to, has to make it better. So that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, this is a tough storyline. How, how did you feel about the way that they crafted the story with having Kevin at the beginning practicing the speech, and then this whole reveal. Did you think it was successful? Were you watching? I know we watched that scene several times to try to pick up on extra information here. Um, well, on first viewing, I was fooled, but you picked up on it right away when it started to be clear that this was a, a flash forward. You caught on to the costume change 
for Kevin when he started doing a thing again. So good on you, but I, I was fooled. And you were like shaking me. You're like, it's a flash forward. It's a flash Because <laughs> my brain was not not uh, clicking into it just shame yet. Shame on us for not realizing that. Haven't they done it in every finale? They play tricks with us. We should have called it even quicker. So everybody knows what happened. If you're listening to this, you've seen it. So let's talk about the stuff that we've noticed on watching it 100 times <laughs> since then. Okay, so yay in the future, Randall, clearly the rising star in the article. We tried to stop at you guys. We tried to zoom in. We tried to look and look and look and look. Can't tell. But we do know from earlier this season, he did have a meeting with a senator. So... I am hoping that he is going to be moving up in the government and finding things beyond councilmen. That almost seems certain. You know, when when a person is is successful at a certain level, their party often says, hey, you want to move up? Yeah. And, they, and they find a spot for him. And it so. fits beautifully for his arc. I mean, this is what he needs to do. He needs to, you know, think of how this all started, Paul. Think of Randall singing his little song. At the piano, trying to explain <laughs> what he does for a living. Yeah. I mean, see how far he's come. You know, that the idea that in the future he's a rising star and everything. I mean, color me satisfied, Paul. Everything that the camera lingered on or didn't was... Oh, they were tricky AF on what they didn't. So, you guys, here's some other little tidbits that we picked up on. Definitely two people had slept in the bed. There was a pink uh, little... Nightgown. Nightgown slash robe that was laying on the opposite pillow from where he picked up his stuff on the nightstand. There was women's clothing in the closet when he like grabbed out his suit coat. There was a pink bra that, as Paul pointed out, was pretty small. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of points your finger back to Madison to me, because I think that Sophie is not like she was a big woman in any way, but it was a particularly petite, tiny little thing that made me think Madison totally. And the way that it, that she played it when he went into the next room. She was laughing. That big laugh she gives. She that gave him point. such a, a big smile. That's she not just her a, hand on his chest. Yeah. And, there and was a lot there to me. When she said, I told you this morning. Yeah. Blah, blah, you blah. You picked up on that hardcore that like it was clear they had woken up together kind of thing. So I'm. That's, Let's say if they're not married, that was really inappropriate. <laughs> Man, we were trying to eagle eye up if Kevin or Madison had wedding rings on and boy, were they crafty. He had his hand behind the suit coat. He had his hand below the camera frame. She used her right hand on his chest and for whatever reason, her left hand, her left arm hung down below the camera frame again. Like there was so many times when we were like slower, slower, slower. Even there was a point in time when Kevin points and somehow his hand is folded in a way where you could only see his index and his thumb. And or he was like, he was cupping his notes in his yes, left hand. In like this way where it covered only that Like part. a magician, how they might palm a card or it something. exactly like that. So very crafty, very crafty. However, Nikki, his wife needed stockings. I think we're dead on with the honk honk. It's yeah. Sally, y'all. It's. Sally, if you don't remember our prediction, the honk honk of the white car that pulls up to Rebecca's farewell scene is the same honk honk sound of Sally and her VW van. Now, when I talk about a steep on-ramp, Nikki, (laughs) that guy's straight uphill and the only car on his highway belongs to Sally. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, married in the future and it's got to be Sally. Let's talk about Nikki for just like for a millisecond, please. We'll take just a pause away from our flash forward. 
How did you uh, feel about the documenting of the day and the and his little moments with them? I don't think it'll go to waste. I think I think we'll see that footage in a future episode. I enjoyed that he had kind of found a place. I, I thought that it was it at least continues with this more lighthearted version of Nikki that we've seen that's comfortable around his family. That's still highly socially awkward, but is not the hermit that we had seen leading up to these interactions. So a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that when he talks about the plain melon, how that seemed uncharacteristically silly. But now we've seen a couple episodes of him where he's continued this kind of lighthearted, I'm not taking the world quite as seriously as the guy up in the trailer was kind yeah. of mentalities. So I think this might be our new Nikki. Uh, and I'm fine with that. I like the idea that maybe the footage could be used in the future. I don't know how, but I like that idea. Because they made such a big deal out of it. And the constant, you know, we have a weddingographer kind of thing. I think it's kind of cool that, you know, that wedding videographer wouldn't have videoed anything. So it's kind of interesting that Nikki has been following their little path along. And maybe it's something that they watch later and it reminds them because of the conversations where he's like, that's so cute. Oh, look at you. Mm, you're gonna be so happy you said that. And, you know, maybe Madison ends up watching that video and realizing that Kevin really does love her. Or maybe Kevin watches it and realizes that he really does love her. At something. I mean, it's like, at some point, that video might be like, I don't know. I don't know what you're expecting, Kevin, but this means you love her. I, yeah. th these are the things that add up to loving another person. I, think, I feel like if you're Madison and you see the clip where he's like, our, our relationship hasn't been romantic up to this point, but I'm going to make everything I can happen this day and blah, blah, blah. And he's like standing up to all those people you know, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. This altar is going to be perfect. She's, you know, she should get what she wants. Like, yeah, like you said, I mean, if that's not love, if sticking up for somebody, if wanting to give them everything, if that's all not love, I don't know what Kevin's looking for. <laughs> I mean, again, it's not maybe not his soulmate, though. Maybe not the one he felt destined and fated to be with. But Miguel laid it all out there and we thought Kevin ate it up. So what gives? It just needs more time on the rotisserie. <laughs> We got to put that in the crock pot. <laughs> Whoa, too Whoa. soon. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks for listening. Can't wait for next season, our final season, season six with This Is Us. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.